This is episode 15 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Stephanie Harris and Janet Harrington. So, I mean, those can get kind of negative views, I think, sometimes. But again, our philosophy philosophy is to really individualize services. And so making sure that we're doing our due diligence as clinicians and following our standards of practice and that we're looking ethically if something is restricted, too restrictive for a client, if it's against their wishes. Um, I feel like that's what we really do well at, at combining those two services. But those are kind of the hot topics that I kept my ear on and I kind of go, hmm. I mean, I could see where people would take advantage of those approaches with clients and they could turn into a um, negative experience for the client pretty easily. Um, So I think it's something we all just need to be conscious of and that our intentions and um, our therapeutic skills are really looking at the whole picture of the whole client and making sure that we continue to do the right thing for the client. It's also been interesting to see how like you don't need you just need like a high school diploma and to mm-hmm. complete this 40 hour course to become an RBT um and sometimes with in talking with the families even if I'm just seeing that client for regular music therapy and then they also have an ABA program and I'm talking with them about things and they're like oh but you're also an RBT right and I was like yeah but like a lot of that is covered in my music therapy training and so it almost seems like they're putting an unequal balance on like this four year thing versus yeah. this four year degree and I'm like wait a minute <laughs> you're listening to the music therapy chronicles a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere my name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. On today's episode with Stephanie and Janet, we discuss the RBT training. And RBT stands for, lots of words here, Registered Behavior Technician for Applied Behavior Analysis Therapy. So that's a lot of fancy words. (laughs) So Janet and Stephanie work under the supervision of a BCBA through their RBT training. And in this episode, they talk about how they have found a balance between the general client-centered approach of music therapy and the ABA approach of, obviously, ABA therapy. So uh, I think this this episode is really informational for anyone in a setting looking for that ABA therapy who's not entirely sure how to incorporate those aspects or maybe feels uncomfortable incorporating them in some ways. And also, you're probably using a lot of these techniques without even realizing it, which 
this is an awesome episode to find out, oh, like I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. And it is ABA, even though I didn't necessarily know that every time I was doing it. So I hope you get a lot out of this week's episode. If you do, please feel free to join our group on Facebook, like us on social media, um, leave a review on iTunes. I will read a review on the other end of this episode. And if you haven't heard already, Music Therapy Chronicles has a Patreon page. You can find that at patreon slash musictherapychronicles.com. It will be linked in the show notes. It's also on the website. Uh, and without further ado, we'll get into this episode. Hello, Stephanie and Janet. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Good morning. I'm really excited to have you both on, and uh, as we were discussing before we started recording, this is my first dual interview, so it's going to be an awesome learning experience for me. <laughs> Alrighty, so to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? doesn't have to be music therapy related, but just about you. Sure. I'm Stephanie Harris. I um, grew up in Ohio. I um, did my undergraduate degree at Ohio University. And graduated from there in 2003. Um, and then I moved to Indiana and began working under the Indiana Medicaid waiver here at Behavior Specialists of Indiana and completed my master's degree at St. Mary of the Woods College uh, about 10 years ago. Um, I've held a bunch of different hats here at BSI as a clinician and supervisor in a couple of different roles. Um, personally, I married, I have a couple of young daughters who keep me really busy and, um, love exploring, um, the Northwest Indiana, Chicagoland, Michigan shores, um, area. We kind of live in a really unique area that offers a lot of different urban, suburban, rural experiences. So it's really fun to explore in our free time. And I'm Janet Harrington. Um, I'm excited to say I've lived in five states. So I got my bachelor's degree from Pennsylvania at Marywood University. And I did my internship at a hospital in Phoenix. And now I'm working my first job under Stephanie um, in Indiana. And for fun, I like to ballroom dance. I just picked up that hobby. A good self-care thing that I do is painting. And I like hiking, too. That's great. Thank you. Um, so how did you guys find music therapy and kind of get to where you are now? Yeah, so I think it's similar to a lot of people's story. I was kind of in that. I was in high school looking at career paths, um, was pretty sure I didn't want to be a music educator, knew I probably didn't have the chops to <laughs> go professional and really make a living out of it. Um, and then, so in the, on the other hand, I was looking at social work and um, other careers in um, that psychology realm. And my mom actually went to a college fair for me because I was probably at a rehearsal or something and picked up a pamphlet for a college that had music therapy listed as a major. And like the bells and whistles went off um, that that was it. That was what I was supposed to do. And so um, researched the universities in my neck of the woods and uh, selected Ohio University and did my undergrad there. So, yeah. 
Um, so I was volunteering at Maryland Therapeutic Writing Center. They do equine therapy um, or hippotherapy, it's called sometimes. Um, so I saw this one client who had some trouble with speech and she was practically nonverbal. She could make a few sounds, but not very often. Um, and she was so much more excited for what I'm assuming the speech therapist used. Um, at the end of the session, it was like a recorded alphabet song. So A is for Apple, B is for baby, C is for cat kind of thing. Um, and so the entire session, rather than like being focused on the games or the horses or any of that amazing stuff, she was trying to say baby the entire session because she couldn't wait for that one song. And it was so effective in promoting speech that I was like, oh my gosh, I need to research music in the brain. And so like for a little bit, I was like, I've invented a new field. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, that is not the case. Um, as I later found out in like my AP music theory class where um, they had a music therapist come talk to us. So that was good. <laughs> awesome. Those are both beautiful stories. So now you are both uh, registered behavior technicians for applied behavior analysis therapy. Can you tell us what that even means? So it came about because we have an ABA department here um, at BSI. And so ABA is a type of therapy typically used with individuals with autism. Um, the programs are developed by BCBAs, which are the board certified behavior analysts. So they are master level um, clinicians who have done a certain amount of training, take an exam. The RBTs, the registered behavior techs, work underneath of their supervision. Um, and there's coursework that's involved, competency exams with a BCBA, ongoing supervision, an exam also for us to take. Um, and so they do a lot of the day-to-day -day, um, therapy with the clients. And then the BCBA is kind of the supervisor over their program goals and um, runs the standardized assessments and, and those things to d determine what the clients are working on. Um, here at BSI, we kind of came into working with them because they're here in our building, right? The, that program is here. and. Our music therapists are have generally been under the Indiana Medicaid waiver as clinicians, and um, we really wanted to find a way to work with those clients. Um, but funding source wise, we couldn't get paid as a music therapist to work with that department. We, there was no options there, so that's where the RBT really came about for us um, obtaining that. So when we work with a client um, as a music therapist. Um, I'm going to go back there. When we work with a client that's in the ABA department, we are working with them as an RBT. So we are supervised by the BCBA. We are following the program and the goals that are put in place by all of those assessments and um, work that they're doing to create that plan for them. Um, we've just kind of developed our way of incorporating our music therapy techniques to enhance that program for them. Um, had a couple of really positive benefits for us. The training um, just gave us a little bit more knowledge on some of those principles that are being used with clients that were here in our building. And um, yeah, I think I'll hit on that more. Later. Yeah, but Janet's got a little bit more of that to cover maybe. And then um, our waiver clients, a lot of them are in school full time. And so it kind of logistically just helped us fill our caseloads and have a balance of some daytime clients with some after um, school clients. 
But we saw the benefit of incorporating the two programs together and what we felt like music therapy could add to their programs and working on their goals. Um, kind of the, the big, there's, there's a big divide, I think, in the music therapy world right now for ABA versus neurodiversity. Um, I feel really strongly that the two can coexist. And um, I feel like our program here, not all programs do a great job at that, but our program here, I feel, does a really good job of focusing on the individual client, what their needs are, um, and developing programs that fit their wants and desires for their life and their family's kind of goals for those clients. And there's a term in um, the BCBA, in the ABA world, called natural naturalistic teaching environment. And I feel like our program is focused a little bit more on that. So it's, it's providing that natural environment for the client to work on those goals. And so I feel like our um, program does a really good job of creating those environments here. And we have a playground, we have some land that they can go out and be in nature a little bit more. Um, and I, music therapy really fits into that. Um, Natural teaching. Play and just their natural tendencies of where they are developmentally, being able to meet them there. Um, so it, it's been a really good match for the two to come together with the way that our program yeah. is set up. So when I first was told about um, ABA therapy and undergrad, they showed us a video of some discrete trial teaching. Um, just like super fast and the kid had to sit exactly still with his hands on his lap and his feet on the floor and facing towards the RBT. And I think the whole reaction of the class was like, oh my gosh, like why the kid's not a robot? Like, what are they doing? How can that be okay? Um, so that was my original perception of ABA. And then in moving here and seeing it in person, um, I've come to look at it in a very different way. <laughs> and now I, I totally see how music therapy and ABA blend together very nicely. Can you not give this? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not to say that we don't use discrete trial training. Some kids, that is a really effective method for them, but it's not the method that we use with every kid and not definitely not all day through their intensive um, therapy. And, and we do incorporate that a little bit in the music therapy too. It's a really good, you know, I think the terminology, there are terminology differences, but a lot of it are things that we do naturally anyway. So I kind of view the discrete trial training as getting a baseline for where they are. And then we do what ABA calls teach, where you delve into it and you work on the skill and develop the skill. And then you can kind of do that discrete trial training to check where they are post-test. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of similarities. Some of the terminology is, you know, to a lot of the other approaches that music therapists blend in with, with their services and their approaches. Yeah. So after you've got that baseline, can you give us uh, an example of an intervention or something you do that incorporates both and gives you that balance? Absolutely. Um, so if we're working on shape identification, um, we've got some frame drums and the different shapes. So I'll hold up two. And so it's kind of like a flashcard, but it's a lot more fun because they're playing a drum and I'll be like, hit the triangle and then they'll reach and play the triangle and then I'll switch mm -hmm. them out and I'll be like, okay, play the rectangle now. Um, and then if they reach for the wrong one, then I'll just move the rectangle in front of them to help them 
correct that or we'll just limit it down to like one option for a while and then we'll go back up to two options or maybe three or as many as I can hold. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that, holding as many things as possible. <laughs> awesome. Do you have another one or is that a good one? Yeah, um, I can think of one in particular. A little guy was working on um, count out where they would tell him a number and want him to be able to count out that number. Um, and so he was doing it by using kind of manipulatives or, you know, little plastic teddy bears or things to count out. So we've done a couple of different ways. One way is I've used egg shakers. Um, so we'll count out the egg shakers. And then after I kind of get his baseline done for where he is for that day with it, if he, you want it for ABA, a lot of times they want to get a probe. They want that data to be before they've kind of worked on the skill to see if they're generalizing and, and really functionally using the skill. So um, we would have him kind of count them out and then we would do a song with the egg shakers and have him kind of pick out another number. He really loves the ocean drum really motivating for him. So we'd also have him um, play the drum so many times. So I would compose a song where I was just mixing up his numbers um, of how many times I wanted him to hit the drum in between some choruses and giving him some free time on the instrument. Yeah, I've also taken like a xylophone and put numbers on each of them. And then, so that way they're working on the, the number identification um, and playing them in that way too. Those are all really great. Uh, and things that I didn't initially think of when I heard about this training and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's things that a lot of us are probably doing anyway, yes. which is awesome. So you kind of touched on this with um, the different therapeutic approaches, but how do you think these two inform each other with your, your own practice? Or is there ever a thought that goes through your brain like, oh, I can incorporate this from this training and this from this one? Or what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, can I touch on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, I realized initially like we're doing a lot of the same things, but we're calling it different things or not realizing that it has it's the same thing. Um, so examples of that is like chaining, like we do chaining with songs and stuff and they do forward chaining and backward chaining all the time in ABA. Um, I've also noticed that like just some vocab like manding is saying, I want the drum. <laughs> um, so they work on that a lot. Um, and I think it really informed how I look at like the function of behavior. That's one of the major things I looked at. So if it's to um, escape a task or if it's to seek attention like I don't feel like I had a really good understanding of that until I got my RBT training um, and then I also think it just gave me a better understanding of the many different ways to gather data because um, I think we tend to do like trial um, yeah that's the right word <laughs> and then I'm like oh but I can do time sampling and like check it every five minutes in the session and then I don't have to like um, ask a whole bunch of questions right at the beginning or like worry about it so much. Yeah, I mean, I think generally I came from a, an undergrad program that was a pretty behaviorally based and our philosophy here in general is kind of a, a behavioral foundation. Um, and with our folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities, I really do feel like it's a good starting point for a lot of clients to then See where where we can take it from there. So you know, behavior is not 
when we say that we're working on behaviors, it's not necessarily a maladaptive behavior. Behavior is anything they do where they're reacting to a situation or stimuli. So whether that's a positive experience, a negative experience, any of those. So we want to just be aware of what their behavior is, what the ABCs are another big term in the behavior therapy world, antecedent behavior consequence. So I just think that that informs how I look at a client, whether it's a maladaptive behavior or not, if they're stimming, um, this is kind of another big of one of those controversial ones with neurodiversity, you know, that a lot of folks think that ABA is focused on stopping someone from getting input that they need. And that's not true there. So I look at that and say, they're stimming. This happened before they started stimming. This happened after they stopped stimming. And it just informs me as a clinician and kind of helps lead my thought process for, well, I could try this with them. I could try this with them. Um, I don't necessarily need to stop it. Maybe they're seeking more sensory input. So I provide them more sensory input in that session versus maybe more cognitive skills that time, you know, that time around. So it really just, it feels like it gives me a little bit of a framework to ask myself questions and guide where I want to go. I also felt like it's important that, um, my my kind of philosophy and approach of how I've led my own career and my trainings that I get myself involved in, our individuals with intellectual disabilities are so diverse. And so I've really made a conscious decision to immerse myself in as much different music therapy approaches as possible. Um, I've done NMT training. In my grad work, I was exposed to level one GIM and an improv course with Alan Turry from Nordoff Robbins. I've done an early childhood sprouting melodies um, continuing ed course. Um, the RBT obviously counted as a big chunk of continuing ed. And then um, the next one I'm looking at is DIR floor time. I feel like all of those, I, I, I'm not an expert in any of them. That's probably the disadvantage of doing that, but I have the resources and basic ideas of where I can pull from. And I feel like RBT is just another one that kind of fits into that. Um, and behavior analysis. There are a lot of music therapists who are who are getting dual BCBA degrees um, because it does tend to mesh so well with music therapy and what we're doing with certain populations and certain individuals. Yeah. Uh... I immediately think of a lot of my clients who are in schools and they're often looking for the more ABA approach. Um, but I had a, a mom say to me a couple weeks ago, we happened to be having the session in their house and her daughter was singing with me and dancing and doing all these things, which you know, for me was normal. And at the end of the session, the mom said, is she always that animated with you? And I was like, oh, you know, in when I'm in school, I feel like I need to be more of this ABA, but uh, the mom's looking for just like involvement and yeah, doing all those kinds of things. So can you tell us more about some of those controversial things, like some of those things that people kind of nitpick at, but that you have found a way to balance really nicely? Um. Well, I think some of the, you know, decreasing certain behaviors, um, like the stimming or vocalizations, I feel like our approach is really based on 
an assessment of what the family wants for the client, if the client's able to communicate or we can assess with the client what's really important to them and what they need. Um, I feel like um, the discrete trial training where clients are just kind of sitting and um, flashing flashcards is kind of another one of those controversial um, kind of the timeouts, exclusionary, um, planned ignoring <laughs> can be um, kind of viewed in that negative light. Um, I laugh because I use planned ignoring a lot because a lot of my, well, as needed, but a lot of my clients, like they are attention reinforced. And so if they're trying to um, escape a task or just seeking attention in a maladaptive way, then like the, the natural consequence is to withhold that attention until they ask for it in a positive way. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that can, those can get kind of negative views, I think, sometimes. But again, our philosophy, our, our philosophy is to really individualize services. And so making sure that we're doing our due diligence as clinicians and following our standards of practice and that we're looking ethically at if something is restricted, too restrictive for a client, if it's against their wishes. Um, I feel like that's what we really do well at, at combining those two services but those are kind of the hot topics that I've kept my ear on and I kind of go hmm I mean I could see where people would take advantage of those approaches with clients and they could turn into a um, negative experience for the client pretty easily um, so I think it's something we all just need to be conscious of and that our intentions and um our therapeutic skills are really looking at the whole picture of the whole client and making sure that we're, we continue to do the right thing for the client. It's also been interesting to see how, like, you don't need, you just need like a high school diploma and to mm -hmm. complete this 40 hour course to become an RBT. Um, and sometimes with, in talking with the families, even if I'm just seeing that client for regular music therapy, and then they also have an ABA program and I'm talking with them about things and they're like, oh, but you're also an RBT, right? And I was like, yeah, but like a lot of that is covered in my music therapy training. And so it almost seems like they're putting an unequal balance on like this four hour thing versus yeah. this four year degree. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been very upfront with, um, our supervisors here that I, I have a big issue with the fact that the RBT level gets reimbursed basically the same amount that our Indiana Medicaid waiver does with that amount of training um, because it's supervised by a BCBA is one of the reasons why that happens, I think. And um, our clinical hours that we receive in our music therapy education far exceed what a lot of folks who come walk in and just kind of take this coursework and exam do. We have excellent folks who are trained and do a wonderful job with it. Um, there is a definite imbalance to that. And through that master's level entry process that AMTA and our profession as a whole has been going through, it's one of the things that I was pretty vocal with with our assembly of delegates through AMTA and that committee was, you know, maybe that's a structure to look at because they are getting reimbursement for this. You know, if a master's level music therapist could supervise, a, you know, 
the BCBA world is getting reimbursed through insurance companies for that. And um, I don't feel like it's right that we have to do that RBT to be able to work with these clients. It's kind of how we've, how we've done it. Um, and again, like I said, we have to be very clear. We are not a music therapist. When we're working with that client, we are an RBT working under that BCBA supervision and program and utilizing all the tools that we know um, are, are helping and supporting that program. Um, but there, there's, I have concerns that that's how kind of that insurance world works. And um, I hope that that was looked at and part of, um, I can't remember if it was listed when I looked at the final report from MLE, but I do believe it might've been listed as some of the other professions um, that they were looking at how that structure was and that that might be something we need to look at how we structure ourselves in the future to be able to fight for that reimbursement a little bit more. Yeah, and that's a, a much wider topic too oh, with all the other, right. yeah, all the certifications that people are yeah. doubling and tripling and quadrupling. Yes, yeah. to be able to get paid, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I don't want to like ask too personal of a question, but how do you, with the reimbursement situation, with having that uh, supervision, with, with all of that, uh, you seem to really love what you're doing and you balance all these things really, really well. So maybe what advice do you have for someone in a similar situation who is not necessarily internalizing it very positively? Does that make sense? Hmm. Well, I came and worked for BSI where Stephanie's gone through the hard part of setting this all up. (laughs) That's my answer. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we're always trying to diversify ourselves and obviously as music therapists, we're used to adapting and, being creative and looking outside of the box a little bit to figure out how to fit ourselves into that managed care world where sometimes we're really lucky to have the support of the owners we work under and the other professionals we work with. Um, So the collaboration and their respect of what we do really goes a long way. They Um, And that hasn't come easy either. I mean, there's (laughs) some work that has to be done when we have a new kind of round of folks come in. Um, RBTs, a lot of our RBTs are in school for their mass, getting their master's degrees in ABA so that they can eventually be board certified behavior analysts as well. And so we do have a rotation every probably year and a half to two years. There's kind of another big group that comes through. So we've been really focused on educating them on what music therapy is and how we integrate um, with one another. Um, We also, we haven't mentioned this yet, but we've run groups, um, social groups with the ABA clients, especially during the summer, we really do. I mean, they're in group almost every day or they have been the last two summers every day with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as part of their, ABA programs, they all have some sort of social role. And the way that we've set it up is that all of us are one, all of us RBTs are one-on-one with one of the clients and the music therapist is facilitating the group. Um, And then the RBTs are able to then individualize what 
we're doing for that particular client's needs and goals. Um, like with prompt levels. Prompt levels or, yeah, if they're nonverbal, helping give them um, a couple of choices, things like that. Um, we know all of the kids pretty well um, now, so we're able to focus those groups on what we know the needs are, but sometimes our, our groups are a little more general and then the RBTs kind of help individualize that. But I think that's really helped them see us in action in a little bit of a different role, um, how we facilitate, how we prompt, because they don't always get to, when we take a client one-on-one -on -one for RBT, they're not generally with us. Um, they may see us in the transition with a client, um, but that's where they've really gotten to see us doing what we do. Uh, so I think that's really helped um, develop that relationship with that part of the team. Have you inspired anyone to switch their career path to music therapy? <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> I'm thinking of one in particular that definitely had the interest, um, had an undergrad in something different, but had some musical ability and really um, enjoyed collaborating with us and taking some of the skills that we were using to use in other aspects of the client's program when they were working one-on-one -on -one with them. Um, and we had, um, there was someone working over there who had a child life background too, and really enjoyed um, collaborating with her and kind of hearing how she worked with music therapists at the hospital. And then she was working here as an RBT and um, her child life background really lended itself to um, music therapy and she incorporated some music into her sessions a little bit more than some of the others have but I think they've all seen the benefit um, we hear lots of singing during transitions I love it every time <laughs> I'm like in the lunchroom and I hear them like instead of just giving a command like singing it and I'm like yeah you go over to like <laughs> um We've had some collaborate with us about, you know, singing through some social stories a little bit more because the client responds to that better. Or um, what can I do with this client while they're doing this kind of non-preferred task? Give me some ideas because they love what they do with you in music therapy and they're really motivated by it. So help us. So we really, I mean, it didn't come easy, but it really was a natural kind of progression of us collaborating and figuring all of that out together. That's awesome that you've been able to create that cohesive environment. So are there other maybe applied arts therapies or creative arts therapies uh, in that facility? Are there other people who have done the legwork that you did to have? Um, we have had, not at the moment, we did have some an art therapist. She was working as... Um, a traditional therapist for us because the art therapy kind of has a similar struggle that we do with reimbursement. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, she would incorporate art um, into some of the programs and some of the company um, when we had groups or things occurring that involved more than just one department. How many years has that been? Though? Like five years now? Mm, a couple years ago. She left probably right as you were coming. Okay. On. Um, so that was really exciting. When we moved into our current building where we are, 
we had been at three or four kind of smaller locations, different departments at different locations. We all kind of came under one roof and we did a big open house and she did some collaborative art projects for all of us um, where clients, she set out materials and all of the therapists could kind of come and go and do some art with their clients and their sessions. And then she put it into kind of a big collaborative art piece for us for the open house. Um, that was a really fun project um, with her. Um, we've had some staff who have therapy dogs that get incorporated into the office and into those groups as well. Um, this summer, the RBTs, we, we had more of a camp setting for the summer where they do a little bit more outdoor um, themed activities week to week. They still get their individual um, ADA in, but it was a little bit more themed like a camp setup. They had um, a yoga instructor come in a couple of times. They had um, some outside. One of the local smaller zoos has an outreach program where they bring smaller animals on site. So they came here and the kids were able to touch an armadillo and snakes and kind of cool things. And um, what else? Uh, yeah. Beekeeper. I have no idea how that went, but they had them come in. Yeah. <laughs> Beekeeper, the police and the fire departments brought trucks and um, the equipment in to show the kids and do some education and um, opportunities for them there. So I think that plays into that naturalistic teaching environment, though. Um, just whatever we can do to generalize and, and make those skills as functional for our individuals as we can out in their community and their daily life is kind of the ultimate goal. Um, backing up a little bit, when she talks about the different departments that we have here, um, I just want to name them. So we have mental health counseling, we have behavior management, and then we have ABA and music therapy. Um, and the other cool thing is that we've had some RBTs go from the, starting in the ABA department to like working their way up to be in the behavior management. Yeah, department. like once they get, because behavior management is a waiver service as well um, that are master level entry. Um, and supervised by our owner, who's a clinical psychologist. So, um, it, so the collaborating goes yes, in a lot of different yes. directions. And it's helped, I think, develop those relationships because we really started with that relationship with the RBTs and the ABA department. But because they've moved into other roles here as well, it, it's um, trickled around a little bit more to all the other departments. That sounds like a really cool place to work. <laughs> we are hiring. Ah. <laughs> I um here list off the information and I'll put it in the show notes if anyone's looking for a job. Yeah, behavior specialist of Indiana in Valparaiso, Indiana. Um, it is listed on the Great Lakes Region website, the Association for Indiana Music Therapists website. Music therapy and hiring on Facebook. AMTA. <laughs> Here's the thing. Indiana Medicaid waiver is booming. Music therapy is the most requested service in the state. And we cannot meet the demand. Every agency at Indiana is hiring. Come find the one that fits for you, please. <laughs> um, we really have a strong support from the state and the Medicaid waiver 
um, for providing music therapy services to individuals with developmental disabilities. I so, did not know it was the most requested. I'm like, it is really excited to hear that. It is <laughs> every single age. I, I mean, the week that I posted our job, there were like seven other places that posted their jobs too. Like they didn't even post them individually. They're like, Hey guys, you just got to go look at these because <laughs> there were so many. So there's a place for you in Indiana if you need a job. <laughs> Find the right company, the right city, the right location. There, there's, I'll, I'll plug for everybody <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, but it helps all of us. I mean, at the state level, when we're advocating for ourselves at the state, um, having, having those jobs filled and the clients that want the service receiving the service helps our case when we need to advocate for something at the state level. So um, it would be a benefit for all of us as providers to have those positions filled where they are. So, And the clients want served. They want services. We have clients long-term um, on our Medicaid waiver. They stay with us for their lifespan. So I have clients that I've been with the entire 15 years I've been here. Um, and so those clients don't want to leave services. They select, it's their choice if they want to stay in the service. There are times we make recommendations on if we feel like it's not beneficial anymore or if there are other things that they maybe could try out, like recreational therapy is also a service on the waiver and things like that. But um, generally once they start services, they stay for a long time. There's always skills to be worked on or life transitions happening. So um, as the population ages, <laughs> we just need more and more therapists to fill, to fill the desire for the clients that are coming onto the waiver that want the service as well. Yeah, that's my plug. <laughs> I'm excited to see like the mass migration of music therapists to Indiana. <laughs> We'd love it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So do you have any resources for RBT training or books or blogs, anything, any resources? Um, so, I mean, of course, there's the, um, it's the BACB. I can send you, I'll send you the specific links. Um, that is the National Association for BCBAs and RBTs. And that's who we're credentialed through for that. Um, so there's a lot of information. Um, you know, there are some, um, music therapy groups on Facebook that talk about kind of neurodiversity and, um, the different populations. Those are always really, um, beneficial to, um, be aware of and keep an eye on. Um, the training that we did actually you did yours through a different one. Relias is um, a company that has a lot of continuing ed options for folks. And RBT is one of the, that's the format that um, we used for a while here for our um, staff to get their RBT training. You used a, a different one though that I'm not, I'm not I don't think we liked it as much as Relias. It was fine. Um, <laughs> But there, I mean, there's lots of different um, organizations that offer that. But of course, you do have to work under a BCBA. And luckily enough, we have those on staff here. Otherwise, BCBAs who, if you wanted to be supervised by one of them, 
that's outside of your agency or um, they charge a supervision fee and, and to, you know, those things. So it could probably get costly for somebody that doesn't have that within their agency or employer to do that. Um, I'm not thinking of any others. <laughs> That's fine. Those are all great. So um, I'll keep a lookout for those and I'll link the ones I can find. Sure. Awesome. Do you, either of you, have anything to add before we move into our rapid fire questions? I don't think so. <laughs> nope. Awesome. Well, I, I feel like I've learned so much and um, have a, a much better outlook on this specific training and how you've incorporated it. So thank you for educating me and our listeners. You're welcome. Pleasure. Alrighty. So for these, the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Janet, Janet likes short, concise answers. That's fine too. <laughs> I get a little long winded for her sometimes. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Night owl. Something you would tell your younger self? Do the thing that scare you. You will not regret it. That's a good one. And something I admire in her a lot because she does some awesome things because she puts herself out there. <laughs> um, don't worry about what other people think of you. Those are both really good. Your music therapy elevator speech. And I'll add, if you ever give a music therapy elevator speech and add the RBT into it, go ahead and give us that too. Um, so I use music to help others reach their non-musical goals, like through communication, motor skills, emotional skills, and social skills. Um, I believe that everyone connects to music on some level, so I think that makes it one of the most powerful and influential things on earth. Um, so I've been trained to hone that to work on speech and movement and social skills and all the domains. <laughs> Those are both really good. And you're both being very concise with these questions. <laughs> <laughs> they just high-fived for the listeners. <laughs> Uh, your favorite self-care practice? Dancing. Yeah. Latin dancing, ballroom dancing, swing dancing. I just started learning blues dancing because Chicago's like known for that. This is something I really need to work on. <laughs> but I actually enjoy um, playing my own music, um, going home and banging on my piano. Mm at home mm -hmm. for myself and with my kids dancing around the living room with me. That's really enjoyable for me. Um, uh, just, just playing with my kids and kind of having that balance with them is important for me and something I work really hard at doing. And oh. luckily I have an employer who supports that. <laughs> so I'm able to have time away from the office to do those things that are important. Yeah, and I'll add, um, cello is my primary, so I play that with my church band, and I just find that refreshes me, like, musically and spiritually and socially and creatively, um, so that's pretty key. 
Awesome. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Um, I am about to start teaching an adjunct class where I did a master's degree. And it has me really excited about just a little bit of a change in my routine and um, challenging my thinking in some things. Um, so that's really something I've been working towards and I'm excited it's about to happen. Um, I recently read a book with my, my small group, my close friends from church. Um, so it's called The Road Back to You and it's all about the Enneagram which is basically a personality assessment. Um, and so there's like nine different types of these personalities. Um, and I'm super into that stuff, but it's also been really great for me to see, to do like be self-reflective about my tendencies and where I go to when I'm stressed and where I go to when I'm in a good spot with my life and like my key drives and stuff. So that's really enhanced my personal relationships lately because we're able to, because we all read the book. So then we, we talk about it and I just feel like we know each other on a deeper level now. Beautiful. Um, your current favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Um, so I, for working on like turn taking and sportsmanship and color identification and verbal uh, imitation, I set up like a bunch of different instruments um, within their color category. So like a bunch of green instruments, a bunch of yellow instruments, red instruments, blue instruments, etc. And then the client and I take turns spinning a dice or spinning a spinner thing. And then whatever color it lands on, then we have to work on that adaptability and then like playing those instruments. Um, and then I'll sing something and then they'll imitate it. And that's got like the color in it. Um, and then also like, I'm really proud of this thing that I made. So I made like a, a dragon or a dinosaur. I'll send you pictures. Um, cause I found that like these elementary school kids love being able to feed like flashcards or pictures or like mini animals to these dinosaurs and these monsters and these dragons. And it just keeps their intention for like a lot of time. <laughs> and they, and it's a really great playful way and they're on task, even if they're like running around the room to feed the dragon. <laughs> yeah. I think just in general, we, we received a grant from a local not-for-profit back in December. And one of the things we were really wanting were some of these manipulatives and puppets and block letters and books and what else did we get? I mean, all kinds of cool things to just enhance what we're doing um, instead of just using a flashcard or a laminated visual aid all the time, having a lot of little plastic animals instead of showing a picture of an animal when we're working on whatever, you know, skill with the client, the puppets have been a huge hit. Um, books, we really incorporated a lot. So one of my favorite ones recently um, is using, we got these wood block letters from the learning resource. I can find that for you too. They have a lot of really cool um, educational materials like this. Um, but they're block letters that have an uppercase and lowercase letter and they snap together. And so like using the book Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and having the client identify their letters or sequence them in order, a couple of different ways that, you know, depending on the client's goals. And so we do the, the book in rhythm or make, you know, compose a song to go with it and, and use those manipulatives. My one little guy really loves, he thinks they're a train, an alphabet train. And so, you know, when we're done with the book, then we 
go through the room with the alphabet train and we sing the ABCs in different ways to just, um, he was having really low motivation with learning his letters and sitting down with mom to read books. Um, so among other things, he's really kind of found this love of those things through that. And for him, um, I hope that that's going to generalize as he's getting ready to go to school, that we've kind of developed some love for learning here with him. I was telling Janet, one of my other favorite ones, and I like because the story is just kind of funny how it's one of those moments where as a music therapist, you're like, oh, I still got like, <laughs> I still have that creativity in me. I was working with a client and we had a couple of little instrument games we played kind of with a song composed to them. And I was wanting to do something with kind of a hide and seek game with the instruments. She needed to work on some prepositional skills. It's under the desk, it's beside the desk, it's in the cabinet, and also just some receptive communication skills we were working on. And I don't know how, I just started to improvise kind of a tune with hide and seek, the instrument's hiding, you're going to find it. And out of nowhere pops this choral piece that I did in high school that was based off of Haydn's Surprise Symphony. So it kind of goes hide and seek and hide and seek and hide and seek and hide and seek and hide. And so I developed that into a, a hide and seek intervention with clients. And I just really, it's one of those ones that I'm like, yes, <laughs> that was, I don't know where it came from, but there it just shows how our brains as music therapists kind of work on maybe a little bit different creative. Um, I mean, it'd probably been 10 years since I'd sung that piece and out of nowhere kind of came and developed into this intervention for a client. So that's probably my favorite story behind an intervention. <laughs> Um, backing up, shout out to Hannah's Hope for that grant for those. Materials. That's right. They do a, just local for Northwest Indiana, but um, they give out um, medical supplies and materials that clients need. And at the end of the year, if they have not um, been able to donate everything that they'd raised during the year to clients, then they open it up to agencies who are serving clients in our area. They're amazing, um, and we were so excited to get it and get to get some of those things that were on our, our wish list that we haven't been able to get yet. So, yeah, they're awesome. There's probably places in everybody's communities that are, hopefully, or in a lot of communities that are doing things like that. So, Awesome. Those are great ideas, and I'm excited to start using them in my sessions. <laughs> So lastly, where can people find you guys, connect with you, plug yourself? <laughs> um, well, BSI is on Facebook, um, at Behavior Specialists of Indiana. We have a Facebook page, not a super active page, but um, occasionally, but it is a good way to reach us through Messenger. If um, We do have a website, bsitherapy.com. And then and do you want our, our email addresses or do you want to just like post those or whatever you're comfortable sharing? If I can, I have them so I can post them if you guys are OK yeah. with that. So if anyone listening wants to connect with Stephanie and Janet, their emails will be in the show notes. Awesome. All righty. Well, thank you so much for making the time to talk with me. This is a great conversation. And uh, I know that lots of people will learn from this as well. So. Thank you Thanks. so much. Glad that you started the podcast too. Good job. Thanks for having us. Of course. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. Bye.
I hope you got as much out of that episode as I did. I definitely have new knowledge about the RBT training and a new appreciation for ABA in general. And honestly, if I was uh, right out of internship and looking for a job, I'd definitely be looking to go to Indiana. So if you end up there after listening to this episode, let us know because that'd be pretty cool to hear about. And also, Maybe if you're moving there and lots of other people are moving there and you comment in our Facebook group, you'll find some new friends who are also new to the area. So as promised, I'm going to read our review of the week. And this comes from Aline. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. It says, great inspiration for this intern. I'm doing my music therapy internship four hours away from home. And I come home for the two days I'm not at my internship each week. The last two trips I've made, I've listened to this podcast for a majority of the drive, and it made the time fly by. I learned so much from the music therapists, not only about their practices, but also about who they are as people. It's been a great reminder of why I'm putting myself through all of the extra stuff that goes along with being an unpaid intern in my 30s. I've also had a few instances that have clarified ideas and approaches that I've learned in school and that I'm currently seeing in my internship. I highly recommend this to all of my fellow interns as a morale booster. Well, thank you so much for those kind words, and I'm glad we're making your drive a little bit easier, hopefully giving you some inspiration for your sessions, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to write a review. That's it for this week's episode, and I'll catch you in the next one. Mm-hmm.